Well, I'd invite you, if you have a Bible, to open to Luke chapter 13. And we will be looking at verses 6 through 9. We'll also touch on uh, verses 1 through 5 as well a little bit later on. Um, if you're looking at your pew Bible, that is page 738, I believe, in your, uh, in your pew Bible. But Luke chapter 13, verses 6 through 9. This is Jesus speaking. And then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this fall, we are in a series on uh, the parables here in the New Testament, specific stories that Jesus teaches in a variety of different uh, contexts and in different settings to explain and make very clear some spiritual truths that he wants his followers um, to adhere to. Famous church father in the 5th century AD, his name was Cyril of Alexandria. Many of you may not have heard of uh, Cyril of Alexandria, but he was a prolific writer, um, a wonderful uh, orator, a good preacher, and was a staunch defender of the faith. We have many of Cyril's uh, homilies and sermons collected to this day. And Cyril actually preached on this passage Luke chapter 13, specifically verses 6 through 9. And as you read that homily from Cyril, he notes this before he even begins. He says, this passage needs no explanation. It needs no explanation. Here's what I think he meant by that. We read these these four verses here in Luke chapter 13. And the point, at least at the outset, seems pretty clear, doesn't it? Those who bear fruit remain. Those who don't are cut down. End of the story. But I want to submit to you this morning that I, I think there's more going on in this passage than just what is on the surface level. Because on the surface, this passage is a little unsettling. Honestly, it's a little terrifying. It's a little unnerving. It's sobering, right? Because it makes us ask the question, well, am I, am I bearing fruit? How do I know? Am I going to be cut down, thrown into the pile? Am I bearing fruit? And so I want to pose this question to you this morning. We're going to circle back around here at the end and perhaps make a, 
a little bit more sense of these two questions, but I want to go ahead and ask them here at the beginning. How is fruit bearing in your life going? If you had to take a spiritual inventory of sorts, where are you? And secondly, would others see and notice the fruit in your life? And better yet, what kind of fruit would people see? Is it good? Is it bad? This morning I want us to walk through this passage and I first want us to understand why Jesus tells this parable. Why does Jesus tell this parable? Secondly, I want us to look at what Jesus means when he's telling us this parable. And thirdly, I want us to look at how Jesus calls us forward into a life of abundant discipleship through this parable. So first, why is Jesus, why is Jesus talking, about a, talking about a fig tree and good and bad fruit? In Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 5, we, we really actually get the answer here. I'm going to read this for us, because I think it will help us along as we continue. Starting in verse 1. Now there were some present at the time who told Jesus about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. See, Jesus later will tell this, this short but very impactful parable because he is wanting to correct this, the, the crowd's line of thinking. Here's the crowd's line of thinking in verses 1 through 5. The crowd's line of thinking is, well, these Galileans who had come up to Jerusalem to, to worship at the temple, to pray and to offer sacrifices, they must have been not all spiritually, spiritually there. Yeah, they were coming to do the good thing, the right thing, and being obedient, but something was clearly off. Because why in the world would Pilate murder these, these worshipers? And then not only murder them, but mix their blood with the blood of the sacrifices that they offer. Why would he, why would he do that? See, these people were talking about the, the current events of the day. And they were, they were wondering how this, this could be possible. How could this atrocity, how, how could something this bad actually happen? And their reason, the wrong reason, was that these folks, these Galileans must have been especially sinful. There was something about them that was just a little bit worse the rest of them. 
Jesus is wanting to correct this line of thinking. Notice what he says. I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Jesus is making the point that death is undefeated. It is coming for everyone. And sadly, we, we don't know when our time will come. For these Galileans who were coming to worship, I couldn't necessarily have expected that their time would, would come in the midst of worship. Jesus even adds on to this. He, he brings up another current event. Verse 4, were those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them? Do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? We can't understand in our world why certain, certain accidents and tragedies and all sorts of bad and evil things occur. We can't understand why hurricanes rock necessarily the coast of Florida and leave thousands and thousands of people without power and, and shelter and injure them and bring forth death. We don't understand why worldwide pandemics come and afflict millions of people. We don't understand why there are food shortages and food insecurities all across our city and across our country and across our world. Jesus is wanting to say, stop, hold up a minute, hold up a minute. The reality is that death is undefeated. You too will perish. Jesus is wanting us, I think, to see in this, in this text. He's wanting us to, to fight certain set spiritual attitudes that you and I are prone to. Perhaps we understand that evil and suffering exist in the world. We realize that it is a part of, of this world and of our existence. But I think Jesus is calling us to fight perhaps spiritual, a spiritual sense of comparison. Well, at least it wasn't me. At least it wasn't me. I think for Jesus's readers, the crowd that he is talking to, and perhaps for us today, he's, he's calling us to, to realize that it wasn't that these Galileans, that these people who died in this accident when the tower fell, that it wasn't because they deserved it or did it to themselves. I think there's a misguided line of thinking that we can all be prone to that that goes something like this. It, it's that because I, I, I try to live as best I can, try to do the good thing and the right thing, that I should at least have more good things happen in my life than bad. But what Jesus is saying here is that suffering and evil simply do not discriminate. None of us are immune the evil and suffering we face in our world. We're all on the same 
playing field. And so that is exactly why Jesus calls us to repentance. To repentance. He says it twice. Verse 3 and then in verse 5. But unless you repent. So Jesus is telling, will ultimately go on to tell this parable to, to fight and correct this, this line of thinking that those present who were listening to Jesus, he's wanting to fight that. But here is what Jesus ultimately means, I believe. Jesus calls us to repentance because he knows that it is ultimately the avenue, that it is ultimately the way to a fruit-bearing life. Repentance is this first step in the process of redemption. Jesus is calling us to, to turn away from, from our old ways, our old habits, our old ways of thinking, and to begin to walk in a life of redemption and of renewal. That if we're going to ultimately repent, we, we have to name our sin. We, we have to acknowledge it. We have to be convicted, ultimately, by the ways that we sin and err and don't meet up to God's standard. And that by the Lord's grace and by the power of the Spirit, you and I have to change, ultimately. That we must turn from and turn to, turn to the Lord and to what he offers us. You know, I think if, if you're like me, repentance is, has been something that perhaps seems a little, seems a little sad, a little, a little melancholy. And perhaps that is part of it, especially initially as we, as we grieve our sin and the depths of it. But ultimately, repentance brings joy and it brings freedom. The process of aligning our will to God's will in ways is, is not easy, far from. But that if we are going to bear fruit, if we are going to live a life of joy and freedom and hope, then you and I have to be committed to that first step of repentance. Because the reality that Jesus makes very clear in this parable is that judgment is coming. Fruit that is good will remain, the trees will remain, and the fruit that will not bear good fruit, that is, that is bad fruit, will be cut down. You know, I think oftentimes... If you're like me, we, we can sometimes be prone in our lives to, to kind of dread the things that perhaps are upcoming. We, we sometimes dread the, the busyness of, of, of schedules and things that, that kind of come on our plates. We have work deadlines to meet, that we have tests to take, that we've got all these meetings and certain obligations and, and commitments and Sometimes it feels like it's more than we can handle. I say that to say that 
judgment is absolutely coming. Jesus makes it clear here in this, this passage. Just as death is coming soon and that it's coming for everybody, so too is judgment. I want you to take a step back for a second as we, we think about this parable. Fruit is meant to be good. Right? That's how God created fruit. He created it to be good. He wanted people to use fruit, to eat fruit. He wants it to be good. In the same way, God calls us to be the people that ultimately worship and glorify him alone. Because that's what you and I are made for. That is what a fruit-filled life is about. Is knowing whose we are. And if we know whose we are, we will ultimately be able to live as God has called us. Yeah, there's, there's definitely some unsettling feelings in judgment. But also, I want to read this verse from 2 Peter. This is 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Peter is writing and he's, he's talking about the day of the Lord, the coming judgment and, and what, that will, what that will ultimately look like. Peter writes in verse 9, he says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. More than anything, more than us perishing, you and I perishing, Jesus wants us to take that first step in repentance. That is what he means. There's very much, though, a sense of urgency. Very much a sense of urgency in this passage and really throughout Scripture. The time is now. There is no time to waste. It's interesting in reading that verse from 2 Peter that, yes, the Lord is indeed patient. He's patient with us. In fact, that's what we see in verses 8 and 9. The, the, the man steps in, right, and asks that this, this tree be given one more year and that he'll take all the steps necessary to ensure that this fruit has every opportunity to bear fruit. God is absolutely patient, and yet the time is now. There is no time to waste as we come and repent before the Lord, before others. I think about it this way. I, I, I've got two, uh, two kids, a four-and-a-half-year-old and a three-and-a-half-year-old, and one of the lessons we're trying to teach them right now, uh, we're trying to teach them good manners. And specifically, we're, we're trying to teach them uh, good table manners. And so we want them to, to sit at our, at our table when we eat dinner. Um, we have, we're trying to teach and are expecting somewhat that they will ask to be excused from the table. We've, 
we've made known to them that, look, if you, if you get up from the table, if you get up from the table, then we're going to take it as you're finished with your meal. And for a three-and-a-half-year-old and a four-and-a-half-year-old, there are a lot of distractions. There are a lot of things that would make them want to get up from the table. See, Ann and I have made clear our expectations. We absolutely expect them, not perfectly, but we expect them more often than not to ask to be excused from the table to take their plate, dump their trash in the trash can, and to put their plate by the sink. The reality is, they're not perfect, and Josh and Evelyn's parents are definitely not perfect either. But we expect that from them. But it's also true that as their parents, Ann and I, we have to be gracious. Yes, we need, we need to be convicted in what we're trying to teach and how we're trying to model for them what good manners are all about. To have that sense of conviction, to, but, but to be gracious and patient with them. It's not a perfect analogy. And there's very much a sense of, of mystery and, and unknown about the urgency of repentance and God's patience in that. But perhaps that's a way for you and I to be thinking about it in the days ahead. So the last question, a very obvious question for us this morning is this. How do you and I actually bear fruit? What does that look like? The passage that I began reading this morning before our pastoral prayer and that we've, we've sung here in our worship service this morning, I think is informative for us. That John chapter 15, that Jesus is in fact the true vine. That we have a father who is, who is the gardener, who, who takes care of the vineyard. That you and I are the branches and that we will have no hope unless we remain in Jesus. In verse 5, Jesus says, I'm the true, I'm the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit because apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. We have no hope of bearing fruit without Jesus. If we do not remain, if we do not abide in him, we, we ultimately can't do it on ourselves, by ourselves. But I think it's also important to realize, too, that there's a great quote that I stumbled across this week in getting ready for this sermon. There, there's a famous missiologist, his name is Leslie Newbigin, and he comments on this passage, and he's talking about the fruit in John chapter 15, and this is what he says. The fruit is not an artifact of the disciples. It is the fruit of the vine. It is the life of Jesus himself reproduced in the lives of the, of the disciples in the midst of 
of the life of the world. Part of what I believe Newbigin is talking about there is the fact that our fruit is not just for ourselves. As important as it is as a spiritual marker for you and for me, our fruit is also for others. It is for our spouse, it is for our friends, it is for our Sunday school class, it is for our coworkers. Our fruit is meant to be shared. I asked at the very beginning how fruit bearing was going in your life. Would others be able to find, find fruit? My hope for you this week is, is to do that work, that's, that work of spiritual inventory. Perhaps a great place to start is to reflect and, and read a, a wonderful passage like Galatians chapter 5. Write those great fruits of the Spirit. Perhaps that's the way for, for you and I to, to bear that fruit, to, to take that inventory, begin that process of repentance. Ultimately, in this passage in Luke chapter 13, yes, it's a little unsettling, but there is good news. There's good news in the fact that Jesus is our Savior and he is our mediator. He is patient with us just like God is. And ultimately it was Christ that died in order that you and I might ultimately bear fruit for the glory of God. I hope and pray that we would do so this week and in the days ahead. I invite you to pray with me. Father, this is a large, a very daunting task of fruit bearing. Father, we see here in this parable that there are absolutely consequences for, for bad fruit. But God, you have created us to bear good fruit, that we might glorify you, worship you, serve you in all things. Father, I pray that we would take that first step of repentance. Father, that we would turn from and we would turn toward you. Lord, that we would see that we would seek your will and your ways. Father, that we might ultimately bear fruit for your glory. Father, help us to do that. We thank you for your word and we offer this prayer. In your name, amen. Well, I'll invite you at this time, um, if, 